This is U.S. Army. Closer look. I think the job is pretty awesome. Innovating. Insight. Soldiers. Soldiers. Mission. Closer look. Closer look. Those who were there. Uh, and what we need to make sure is we have the most capable army to deliver specific effects on a battlefield relative to U.S. national security interests. Those experiences, those strategies. Closer look. Closer look. Army Media. We continue from part one of James C. McLuhan's story of the battle, where he earned the Medal of Honor. New Yon Hill, Vietnam. About 10 meters away, there's two NBA looking at me just like I'm looking at you. Only they got AK-47s in their, their hands, and I, I had given my weapon up in Folger and Aiken. They don't have any weapons either. And I said, gentlemen, follow me. And I turned and I sprinted down that trench line, and then I realized this is slowing me up, so I, I got in the, out into the open because I could run faster. And I'm weaving and literally could hear and see the bullets skipping off the ground. They're firing at me. Find out later on that Folger froze in the trench line and he got killed. Aiken didn't follow me. He took, he, he took his own path and he got captured. I'm running, I'm, I'm estimating, I've, I've ran about 40 yards and I wished I'd had a clock on me because I know it's the fastest I've ever ran a 40 yard dash in my life and weaving. I, I might even beat my record while I was weaving instead of running straight. And I hear my name called, Medic, Medic. Well, it's a guy by the name of Simpson Nita. He, I, so I turn and run back towards the assault. And I pick him up and I finally find out how far back um, Hatton and Mittendorf and a few others have, then I hear another sound, medic. I'm, don't go out there, doc. Hatton says, I got to. I go out and I get another machine gunner that's been trapped out there by the name of Kairos. And I brought Mike in and I patched him up right away because I wanted to get his machine gun going along with these other two guys. And I hear another call for a medic. <laughs> so I go out there again and it's Tay, our interpreter, and I cannot describe to you the feeling, the empty feeling I had in my stomach when I looked at him and all I saw was a Vietnamese face and I didn't know whether I'd been trapped by a North Vietnamese because they will do this. We knew as medics, they told us, they'll, they'll call for a medic and they'll sound like an American and they're just trying to get you to come to them so they can kill you. So I, that's what I thought I'd been trapped. Then I realized it was Tay and I threw him up on my shoulder and I got him back. The next time I try to go out, Hatton is gonna try to tackle me. He even told me, he says, I didn't want you getting killed because even though that was nice and brave of you, Doc, but you know we needed you. And at this point, I'm saying you can patch anybody who can make their own way back in, but don't go out there and get killed. So anyway, um, but the last guy that I go out to get, and I'm going to back up a little bit. As I was in that trench line and realized that the front squad had gotten hit, I saw this American soldier running back towards the unit. My last person to retrieve had a sucking chest wound. Those are bad. Those are one of the worst. 
So I got my plastic off of the pressure bandage. I put it over the hole so that that doggone thing won't collapse. And I put the pressure bandage on and get on there as tight as I can. And I put him in a position. And then I'm called over to the, this guy that's got a leg wound, been shot in the leg. Well, I saw that guy that was running kind of, I heard a shot and I saw him start limping right away. This was that Chuck Matthews who had to carry, would have been the point man, but had to carry the um, radio, and he just dumped the radio, and, was, and by the way, later on, we had to change our frequency because that radio's out there, so we had to change our frequencies. And he's been shot in the leg. I find out later on that no bone had been hit, no major vessel had been hit, and that's why there was just a little trickle of blood coming out of this wound, I patched him up. Now, I'm, I told him as soon as I had started working on Francis Patton with a sucking chest wound, we needed a helicopter and we needed it quick because I knew that this guy is gonna have to get in there quickly if, if we're gonna save his life. Well, they couldn't get in. They're getting fired upon and they couldn't get in. And when they did finally get in and I got everybody on, Lieutenant Carrier says to me, get on, Doc. Well, now I'm real. I look down and I've got blood all over me. And then I, my thought goes back to being on top of the berm and explosion and feeling the ping. And, and I realized, yeah, I'm, I mean, I said, no, I'm not getting on. He said, why not? Quote, unquote, I said to him, you're going to need me. As I said, I looked up on that hill and saw those little ants coming down that hill. So I knew that it was a lot of people out there. How many? I still didn't know. What we heard later on is anything from 1,500 to 2,500 NVA, NVC out there. He didn't force me to get in a helicopter. Another guy that didn't get on was Joe Mittendorf. He had gotten hit out there probably when he was leaving me, uh, so, or maybe about the same time I got hit, he, he got hit with some fragmentation from RPG. So I'm pulling the metal out of him and getting him patched up the best I can, and NBA have backed off for a while now, and we've gotten everybody on the helicopter, and uh, there's a few other minor wounds I've taken care of, and then I finally took care of my, my own, and they harassed us all night long. I mean, and uh, Carrier, he called in rounds, artillery rounds, mortar rounds, and that type of thing to keep them off, and we'd have, have a couple of helicopters come over the top of the gunners on them during the night, but I could just tell they, they're not trying to get us. They're not trying to get us yet. There's a there's a uh, plan I think they've got, and I don't know how long we're going to be here. I don't know if we're all going to leave here or none of us are going to leave here. So morning comes and they back off again. So the guys they start getting something to eat, and I'm going around taking care of the malaria tablets and this and that and the other thing. Now, I haven't had anything to eat or drink for since just being combat assaulted out 
at 10 o'clock in the morning on the 13th and I'm still doing my job and afternoon comes and I have more heat casualties and I'm still doing my job don't have time to eat or drink and four o'clock we get orders they want us to move find another position because they figured the enemy can't get us if we move positions and I'm thinking they're crazy obviously they're not aware even though we've sent all of these people in all of these people from my platoon the people that I had heat exhaustion they got to know that we're not only low with 89 guys we're down into the 70s maybe even the 60s by now range but that's what we're going to do so my second platoon had led the way or had gone out the night before they want first platoon to be the point platoon to go out they don't get out as far as we did and they're hit with an ambush it says in all of the um, articles that have been put out that I, I saved 10 American and one Vietnamese soldier. This is only talking about going into the kill zone. I, I probably saved more than that, guys that made it in on their own and patched them. But the fact is they weren't all in my platoon because the second day we lose our only other medic we got, and that's Dan Shea, who was posthumously uh, awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. He was going about his fourth time when he was killed. And I got, got him and got his body in, and, and now I'm the only medic. And although he and I were doing the same thing, now it's Jim McLuhan, you're solo. He, and, and I'm obviously in a realization mode that you know what your duty is, and although you're the only guy, you're gonna do it. So I downed my pack near a tree and got all of my pressure bandages and everything out of there, put them in all of the pockets that I had, and I retreated into the perimeter, and now I start going out to get men. And I've already grabbed a uh, dragged a couple in, one I carried in and one I dragged in because he was heavy. There's no way I was carrying that guy in. And I see a guy laying out there and he, he's near a trench line and a guy by the name of Tom, Bo Tom Posdell has written uh, Tam Key, The Battle of Nguyen Hill and he states there was a guy next to him in a trench line with a stomach wound. And I gotta think this is the guy because I go out there and here he is, the guy with the stomach wound. Got, this guy's got a stomach wound. Been shot in the stomach. This is real serious. I gotta get, I can't move him. I've gotta get bandages on him and get moistness on the bandages. Finally getting patched up and I kinda carry, getting back into the trench line, gently back in the trench line. And um, I'm trying to, figure out how I'm going to carry this guy. I can't throw him over my shoulders and I've got to get him through the crossfire and I've got to get him to the perimeter. So I, I decide that I'm going to carry him like a baby and all of a sudden this thought hits me. I hadn't told my dad since I was a boy that I loved him. You didn't do that in the 60s and in, in 50s, you know, you just didn't, men didn't say that to each other. So I bargained with God and I said, look, if you get me out of this, hell on earth, 
this hellhole. I'll be the best dad, the best coach, the best teacher that I can be. But I want to tell my dad face to face that I love him again, give him a hug. And then I left it in his hands. Picked the guy up like a baby and got him to safety, put him in a safe area. Then another major wound happens and I crawl out. A guy by the name of Kent Nielsen, the machine gunner, got shot through the shoulder, come out the front. I get him in, patch him up leave them in a nice safe area and I've got about four or five people here that are badly enough wounded that I wanted them as safe as they could be and yet I could get back to them during the night. I did use some more of my drinking water which I still haven't had any dr to drink and I, I said to myself I can't drink it now because I'm gonna have to use it on this stomach wound, keep it moist and we didn't know whether we get out of there or not and I used my morphine surrettes on the shoulder wound keep him from going into shock and kept him alive all night long too. Found him 40 some years later. He's the top geoscientist in the nation. Anyway, um, I go back out and help fight too. Before, before long, we're running low on ammo. The lieutenant calls for a blinking light because he's gonna try to get a helicopter in with a resupply of ammo. Well, nobody jumps up, so I take the blinking light and literally low crawl out and I'm, I, I'm prone position on my stomach holding this blinking light and these flashes are coming over the top of me. And I think two things, what is that? And uh oh, if they kick that ammunition out and try to hit this blinking light, it's gonna land on top of me, I'm a dead guy. Well, they never were able to get in so I was safe there. I turned the blinking light off, crawled back. Out there in the front line, all of a sudden I realized what was coming over. There's an RPG round over where I left my pack behind those two trees. I see the muzzle come out, I take a grenade, I flip the handle off, count to two, and I throw it right over there by this tree and and the muzzle goes up in the air like that. Next morning I find him out there. The AK-47 picture that you see in a lot of the articles, that's me holding the AK-47 that I took off this dead body and he had his hand on the trigger of the RPG and he was going to fire around into our area. So I got him just in time. Okay, the next morning we dust everybody off and so on and so forth. I'm running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Even the dead bodies, of course, we're putting things over the top of them. We're getting these helicopters in and getting them out. And it's the last I remember. I fainted. I woke up in a aid station with an IV in both arms, and and of course got to go to the bathroom real bad because they finally rehydrated me, and and, um, and I had nothing to eat or drink for those 48 hours, and that's what it finally just my body just did it, it shut down, and I went down. So they take the IVs out. I go back to the the LZ center on a helicopter and I want to get back to my unit and Foster's there, Captain Foster, the guy that's head of all of our, us medics and they had my pack there. They thought I died, they thought I was killed and they sent me back to the unit. So battle's over but we still, you know, had contact the next few days with, with the enemy. July 31st, 2017. 
James C. McLuhan is awarded the Medal of Honor for his courageous actions as a combat medic during the Vietnam War. You can learn more about his story at army.mil forward slash Medal of Honor forward slash McLuhan. This is U.S. Army. Closer look. I think the job is pretty awesome. Innovating. Insight. Soldiers. Soldiers. Mission. Closer look. Closer look. Those who were there. Uh, and what we need to make sure is we have the most capable Army to deliver specific effects on a battlefield relative to U.S. national security interests. Those experiences. Those strategies. Closer look. Closer look. Army Media.